Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Not Your Average Joe, the podcast that'll make anyone a little less average. I'm your host, Joe Franco, and this episode, I gotta admit, is probably the meatiest one yet. It is so filled with takeaways that I almost considered it being two episodes, but then I was like, nah, nah, nah. My not average Joe family can definitely handle this. This is one to listen to because we touch on so many different topics from career success, from being the minority, trying to move everything forward for your kind, to insecurities, leadership, and what it is to travel around the world for a living. Because my guest on the show today is Jason Harris, who is not only a military pilot, but a commercial airline pilot as well. And I mean, who do we need to trust more in our lives other than pilots? Maybe surgeons. And I'll probably find a surgeon to interview too. You're gonna want to take notes for this one. Kill the intro, sis. You know she's not your average show. Not your average show. Before we get into this meated, juicy, hefty, not your average Joe episode, I do want to cover some housekeeping. So to connect globally, I've created a Discord channel. Click in the show notes so you can get the invitation and it'll be free to join. And it's just a way for me to actually communicate with you guys since there is no comment section in podcasts. And if you're digging the show and you want more, don't forget to rate and review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. All right, that's it. Thank you. Okay, so if you've been hanging out with us for a while, you might remember episode 16 with Dave Raymond. That was a great conversation as well. We spoke about how to build your own superhero because this man was a mascot for most of his life. What each individual that's listening can do is just to take stock in the things that they've done that are valuable and the accomplishments they've made. It doesn't have to be huge. They can be small wins. You know, give yourself credit. That would be the simplest way. Just... Give yourself credit, turn off the negative critic and say, I did that. That was me. You know, and and I, I think that, especially in the world today, that really helps. He referred me to the speakers program that was invite only, and it was in Lambertville, New Jersey, which is what I went to a few weeks ago. And in this training, you're around 30 to 35 brilliantly successful people from all different walks of life, Jason being one of them. And in any of these scenarios, I always show up into the room and I'm like, hey, I'm Joe. And I just get to meet these thinkers and these thought leaders. And and of course, I'm going to have many of them on this show. But Jason was the first one that I wanted to interview because we had so many different overlaps in in our journeys and in our grit. And plus, I've never had a pilot friend before. So meet Jason Harris. Mr. Jason O'Harris, it's so good to see your face again. Likewise, likewise, likewise. Always good to see you and always good to be seen. So thanks for having me. Excited to have a conversation with you today. You know, you're my first uh, friend who is a pilot. And this is a big deal for me because I have a fear of flying, which shocks most people because I'm always on planes. And when we (laughs) met, the first question I wanted to ask you was like, 
help me not have a fear of turbulence? Which I thought was a silly question, but now I'm asking you. <laughs> no, it, you know, so it, it's, it's funny. First and foremost, like, like there's a lot of people that approach me with that, that um, like, hey, I'm afraid of flying. And is there something you could say or something you could do? And, and what I like to tell people, Joe, it, it kind of trips people out when I tell them, I says, actually, what people don't know about me or a lot of people don't know about me is that, guess what? I'm actually afraid of heights myself. And so, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, yeah. So I'm, I'm actually afraid of heights myself. And there's this this thing about facing that fear and getting beyond it, and kind of how you do that. And so, in terms of turbulence, here's the thing, right? Um, turbulence is just a natural occurrence of what happens in the air, the 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 heat, and all the different things that are happening with the weather system. So it's nothing that's that's crazy. It's nothing to be super concerned about. Now, have I been in some crazy turbulence? Yes. Have I at times wondered like, okay, what is going to happen? And then I go, you know what? These airplanes are built for this. They are designed to handle all of this. And at the end of the day, the literally, it's, it sounds crazy. Like if I were to just sum it up and say, what do you need to know about turbulence? Is that no matter what, it's going to happen. There's nothing that we can do to avoid it. We do our best to fly around it if we know. Like we have these little models that we can look at on our iPads and different uh, technology that we have up in the flight deck. And so we'll try to avoid it and do the best that we can, but sometimes you just cannot avoid it because you can't see turbulence, right? In the middle of the day, I can see thunderstorm clouds, but you can't see turbulence because it's randomly placed it's based on the, the air and the weather and all that stuff. And so the biggest thing is that it's going to happen. The airplanes are built to withstand it and buckle up. I mean, like... I, <laughs> Honestly, I don't know how to explain it any other way. It's like life advice. Like, you can't see when shit's about to go down, but it's going to happen. Buckle up. Turbulence is not something that you can see, right? It's this thing that happens. Now, there are weather patterns that we can see, and we'll go, okay, that likely has turbulence associated with it. And then... There are things like, so we, you know, now with the new technology, we have iPads up in the flight deck. And, and so you can look at the different weather predictive models and in those predictive models, it'll show you where there's likely turbulence to be at. And so of course we'll go, okay, can we avoid it? Can we climb higher in altitude or can we descend lower in altitude? Can we go to the right or left of it, depending on what it is showing in the models. But even in those predictive models um, that all of our weather experts that they put out, it's not always guaranteed because again, you cannot see that turbulence. It's in clear air and you don't know what's going to happen. This is insane. Right, um, this is crazy. <laughs> We're just getting started and my mind's already blown. Like, dang, I thought y'all knew when it was coming up, but I guess you can only hope for the best. A, a lot of times we, you know, again, there, we, we know that turbulence is associated with certain things, right? For example, in Colorado, the worst place for turbulence or one of the places where you will almost always experience some form of turbulence is near mountainous terrain. And the reason why is because how the air flows over the mountains. So when you come into Denver, Colorado, you're going to likely get some turbulence. And if you come into Denver, Colorado in the summertime, when it gets hotter, um, all of that heat is generated off the ground and all this other, other weather phenomena that happens, you're almost guaranteed to get even more turbulence in the summertime in Colorado because of the mountainous terrain and other environments that are mountainous terrain. You know, likely if you're flying in the Rio, you're probably going to get a little bit of turbulence depending on where in, 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 that, in, in Brazil that you're flying, if you're flying around the mountains, right? So there are places that we know you're going to get it. And then there's other places where it's like, well, I wasn't expecting that to happen. Glad I was buckled up. <laughs> it's crazy because when you think about flying, it's a very unnatural thing. 
like when you think about the 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 tons of metal in the air, I always look at planes and I'm like, this this seems like out of a sci-fi movie. This does not seem real. Like, how are we all just floating in the sky? And of course, I'm having these super existential thoughts in the middle of a flight. Not great. But it is. Um, I was reading a book that was saying before man first took flight, people were doubting that it was ever possible because of the sheer, you know, weight of an aircraft. Like, how is this going to be aerodynamic? And and you as the pilot sitting in the cockpit, you're manning this crazy thing that's carrying hundreds of people because you're also a commercial pilot in addition to being a military pilot. It, it does. Um, you know, I think... For me, there are different aspects that blows my mind about what it is that I get to do every day, right? So um, I think about being from humble beginnings. I mean, I, you know, what I tell people is I'm number three of my mother or number two of my mother's six children. You know, she's had three marriages, four different fathers, her six children. And I grew up in inner city, Oakland, California. And I'm just like, dude, I, like that blows my mind that I'm in the flight deck in the cockpit of an airplane and I'm controlling this 700, 7,000 pound airplane with 300 people in the back couple hundred thousand pounds of fuel to take you from, let's say, Dallas to to London or Dallas to Paris or whatever, right? Like that blows my mind. Um, and then, yeah, it, it does blow my mind too. When I walk around that jet, when I walk around that aircraft, that Boeing 777-300 aircraft, and I look and I'm just like, dude, this... This, this thing is massive. I mean, like, like I've literally looked at it. And I'm like, and then I look at the ground. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, okay, how high are we? And we haven't even taken off. And then I'm looking around. I'm like, when we start taking off, I'm like, this thing is flying. Like, it, it's like all of this thrust and you feel all this thrust when you push throttles up. And you're like, wait, okay, I know how this works because I have to learn it. But at the same time, it's like, this is magical. I'm like, where the unicorn, where's the, where's the unicorn dust at? Cause this is completely magical, dude. <laughs> and you've been doing this for years. How many years have you been flying? I've been flying for more than 20 years now. This is crazy. <laughs> what was the journey? So what came first, the, the military experience or the commercial flying? And also what got you into the field if you're afraid of heights? Like how did this happen? <laughs> how, did, how did this go down? <laughs> so, okay. So, um, so interestingly enough, right? So um, when I went to college, I went to the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And when I went there, I was planning on being a, a lawyer. I was like, oh, I'm going to be an attorney and I'm going to go and make a whole bunch of money and wear cool, nice custom suits to work. But like, I had this vision of what I was going to be when I grew up. And I, I got to college and I remember realizing, wait, you know, studying law, that's, that's not really my thing. So I think I'm going to pass on the law and then let me figure out what else. And of course, I was at a military academy, service academy. So I knew that I was going to be serving in the military, but I didn't know in what capacity. And then I started getting exposed to pilots. I started getting exposed to original Tuskegee Airmen. I started getting exposed to pilots that looked like me, that looked like you. And I was like, wait, so that's actually possible because I didn't even, th I didn't, I didn't go to college wanting to be a pilot, Joe, because I didn't think it was possible. I was like, Shh. I've seen pilots because I've flown, you know, in the summertime I go fly to see my grandparents or whatever. But I never saw a pilot that looked like me. So it was like, you know, some people are like, oh, it's on the bottom of my list. No, for me, it wasn't even on my list. It didn't make the top 100 because it didn't seem like it was something I could even do. So not your average history. Tuskegee Airmen were a group of primarily African-American military pilots and airmen who fought in World War II. And they're still around today. So now all of a sudden I'm around these 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 folks that are flying airplanes and the, the catalyst for me, and I, and I like to tell this piece because people, they don't understand uh, some certain aspects of it. And so 
for me, I remember going to this Organizational Black Airline Pilots and Tuskegee Airmen Convention. They're, it's now called Organizational Black Aerospace Professionals. And I remember going to this convention. It was in, in Las Vegas. It was in the late 90s. And, you know, I was still toying with the idea of flying airplanes. And I remember going to this convention, Joe. And it was like... Oh, man, it was like Nirvana. I mean, I don't even know how to explain it. And the reason I say this is because I walked in and it was all of these black men and women that looked like me that were all pilots, airline pilots, military pilots from all branches of services, original Tuskegee Airmen, the people that have paved the way. And now all of a sudden it's it's like, hey, kid, you can do this. One, that, that was one part. And then the other part that really got me was all of a sudden I'm realizing these dudes and, and th these folks, they're living like rock stars. Like they got custom suits on and, and you know, a custom suit, that said success. They're traveling the world. They got money. And I'm like, wait a minute. So let me get this straight. You guys live just like rock stars or better. You guys live better than prof some professional athletes. And all I got to do is just sign up and say, I want to fly airplanes. I was like, dude, sign me up. And so that was kind of the pathway. And so I started my journey to becoming a military pilot after graduating college. And then after flying in the military from 2001 to 2013, in 2014, I got hired to be a commercial airline pilot. And then I continued to fly as a commercial airline pilot, continued to serve as a military pilot as well. So that, that's... A little bit longer story, but that's kind of a bit of my journey as far as how I got into flying airplanes. Not your average Joe. Tip number one. If you see it, it's way easier to believe in the possibility. Well, it brings up a really good point that if you do not see the example, it's very hard for you to imagine a reality for you in a world that doesn't look like you. In all of these commercial flights, I can count on less than three fingers how many black pilots that I've seen flying commercial aircrafts and even less black women, maybe two women. And it's always soothing when I hear a female pilot come on. I'm like, it's a lady up there, you know, because it's so rare. And, and that, I mean, yeah, I've never considered being a pilot because I've never seen people that look like me flying planes. When you get into like Asian pilots, I've never seen an Asian pilot outside of going to Asian countries or Latina pilots. Like this is an issue in this industry. So you're you're rare, even though you've kind of hit the nirvana in the military world of black pilots, in the commercial piloting world, how many of us are out there flying planes? Yeah, and, and that's an excellent question, Joe, and an excellent statement, right? The the idea that we are rare. So there's roughly, I normally say three less than 3%, and the only reason I say less than 3% when it's actually, I believe it's less than 2%, is because I never want someone to be able to challenge me on that number because of, as you know, Oftentimes, someone will want to challenge your number, but I'm pretty confident that it's less than 2%, okay? But 2%, 3%, that's a really low number in the industry, okay? And so with that, I remember when I first became a commercial airline pilot, I've had some experiences as a military pilot, and, and you travel a lot, you know, and you've had some unique experiences traveling, um, speaking different languages, all this other stuff, right? And so what would happen is, is I would go up to the, to the counter traveling to work and I'd say, hey, I'd like to list for a flight deck jump seat or hey, I'd like to list for the jump seat. And then I'd get comments like, oh, flight attendants aren't allowed to sit up here. You know, or oh, you know, are you a flight attendant? And then, and initially I would get I would get upset. But here's the kicker, Joe. I had to kind of come to the realization that why am I getting upset, Jason? The reality is is that you have never been seen by that gate agent. That gate agent doesn't see Jason Harris. They don't see Joe flying the airplane. They don't see Jason flying the airplane. So what is customary for them is to see Jason in a different position. 
And once I removed my ego and my pride from this title and this expectation, I was able to give them a level of grace and allow myself to, to realize that my presence is my activism. And that now this might be the first time that they ever see me. And because it's the first time they ever see me, maybe the next time that they see me or someone who looks like me, it won't be so off-putting for them. And it won't be so uncomfortable for the both of them having that conversation about where you belong in life and where you belong on that airplane. Not your average Joe. Tip number two, your presence is your activism. And that's a mic drop. Oh, man, Jason, I knew it would be a great conversation. This is <laughs> such a powerful statement. My presence is my activism. And it's, yeah. it's an unfortunate situation, but it's also a very fortunate position and, and an opportunity. I say it's unfortunate because being someone who doesn't look like the stereotype of whatever that is, whether that's being a pilot who is a person of color, being a female pilot, uh, being a female person of color linguist right like all of these things that people don't yeah. expect when they meet me they don't expect for me to be able to do what i can do switching you know like i was at a party and i'm i'm the only person of color there very rich people and i'm the one who's switching from spanish to italian to Fr and i'm like damn this is activism because now the next time you see someone who looks like me maybe my only hope is that you yeah. you don't discount the potential for them to do something that you might not expect the unfortunate part of that is that being the only person who looks like you in many rooms filled with people who do the same thing as you you now have to carry the burden to represent your entire kind with you and so it's less likely that you're going to act up that you're going to make mistakes and this is like a lifelong thing you know how many people have asked me to write articles of like Joe, can you talk about the experience being a black female traveler? And I'm like, I'm one person and I just want to be a person, but because I'm a person who looks different than most people that get to travel the world and see these things, now I'm like a representative, which I take as an opportunity. So it's all Absolutely. these feelings that it's, it's complex, I guess. The bottom line is it's complex. And I'm sure that you have many stories of that. <laughs> it, it's, it's very much complex, right? And, and you're so right, Joe. There are often times where people like you and I, right? One of the things we do is we love to travel. That's what we know for certain we have in common, right? And the reality is, is that for many people, they don't get to see you and I or, or, or their lived experiences has not allowed them to see you or I. Those lived experiences being actually in person in the flesh, um, the, the media that they take in, the social media that they actually uh, devour, whatever that lived experience is, they might not have ever seen you and I. And so, yes, we are oftentimes the only one in that room and we are an anomaly and it is a burden that we have to carry. And the question becomes is, is do you and I treat this as a burden or do we treat this as a blessing and an opportunity to be that person that will show someone what's possible? And, and, and do we take that opportunity to ensure that we allow our presence to be our activism so that when they, they, that person encounters that next person of color, when they encounter that next person who speaks five, I mean, what do you speak like a hundred languages, right? When they encounter that next person who's multilingual, not just bilingual, right? When they encounter that, it's not such a jolting uh, a, a event, 
But yeah, that is a challenge for you and I. And, and, and as they say, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. And so it is important that you and I, that we, that we never forget how fortunate we are to see the world. I mean, literally, people pay us to travel and see the world. That's so cool, right? It is, right? And so, and then we get we get invited to be in the room with people that are very wealthy, that have that get to, to that, that could buy whatever, right? And we have these amazing opportunities. And yeah, sometimes we, it, it, I imagine we could trade stories all day where you sit in these rooms. Sometimes you go, I can't believe I'm in this room. Or I can't believe I'm in this room, but I've always wanted to be in this room. I didn't know what this room looked like. I didn't know what it would feel like. And now I'm here and now I'm struggling with how I feel because I'm actually sitting here. My dream has come true. But even with my dream coming true, like, is, is it going to end abruptly or is it going to end in a nightmare or, or like any number of things start flooding our minds. And we have to be able to be prepared to say, no, I'm going to actually live out this dream. I'm actually going to be the activist in the room, not by what I say, but just the example in the life that I live. I'm going to be who I am and who I'm destined to be. And I'm going to be comfortable in my own skin, no matter what, no matter what you think about me, no matter what you feel about me, no matter how you view me or perceive me, I'm me. And you either take it or leave it, baby. And I'm going to have fun and I'm going to live my life to the fullest no matter what. Because even that is a form of activism, right? Absolutely. What I love so much about stories like yours, one is very rare. Again, you're my first pilot friend and I'm so stoked because I got many questions. I'll be texting you like, should this be happening on this flight? And I'm happy for that alone. But what I really think needs to be a story that's told more often are people who come from humble beginnings and end up in those rooms. Because when you, you know, in life, we carry everything with us. We carry our struggles, we carry our joys, whether we're aware of it or not, that becomes like the texture of who we are. And when we're in those rooms, inside of our heads is all of this, this conversation of like, I can't believe I'm in this room. No one needs to know this, but it's happening internally. But when you get to start leading people, which I wanna switch gears and talk about your leadership, you carry that as well. And then it becomes this range of empathy for people from all different walks of life because you know what it, what it is to be the person who shouldn't have been given these opportunities, right? So as a leader, you have more of like, of just empathy. You have more empathy. I, I really believe that. So there are many takeaways here. So I'm gonna start with Not Your Average Joe tip number three. It seems like to be a Not Average Joe we need to learn the art of looking at something that could be seen as a burden to others and turn them into blessings. What are those opportunities, right? Like maybe you feel like you're carrying the world on your shoulders, but where's the opportunity in that? Because there always is one. Damn. When we come back, we talk about what it looks like to be a good leader when you weren't supposed to be in the room to begin with. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You became an airline pilot and then, you know, from military pilot to commercial airline pilot in these roles, you've been a leader and you've led teams. I was watching your sizzle reel, which is super amazing. I'm like, I want to hire him for a corporate event. I don't even have a corporate event to plan. But can you, can you talk a little bit about leading teams of pilots as well? Because that's insane to me. You know, um, leadership is such a, it's such a gift, right? And, and it's also a challenge in the gift that it is. And so for, for me along the way, along the journey, what I realize in, in retrospect is that I've learned just as much about leadership from those people who I did not admire, that I did not like, that I did not care for, uh, and some, some that I actually had an absolute level of disdain for. I've learned just as much about being a leader from them as I've learned from those that were great leaders. Um, to include those that I've had the opportunity to read about, you know, you, you, we get to, we have the fortune that we can go to the library or we can order books and we can read about people who were great leaders, read their autobiographies and how they were able to channel, um, who they are and what they want and channel that in a way to, to help move people in a positive direction in a positive way. Right. And so, and, and, and in some, some cases, what we call is ethical manipulation, that to me, that's what real leadership is, right? It's, it's ethical manipulation, being able to, to allow people to follow you based on who you are, based on how you uh, communicate with them, how you connect with them, how you create a commitment, a level of accountability, which then leads to a level of trust that allows you to lead them. But they have to be willing to allow you to lead them. And so for me, along this pathway, I've learned from the good and the bad. And what I realize is, is that in leadership, Joe, everyone has a choice. And whether I'm leading a crew in a commercial airline or I'm leading a crew in the military environment or I'm leading a, a group in a corporate environment, it doesn't matter. What matters is that if I don't step forward, if I don't create the environment, create the culture in that small little moment, so small little moments, that is built on commitment, that's built on accountability, that leads to trust. And we have to start with connecting with them. If I don't do that, then they won't allow me to lead. And if people don't allow me to lead and I decide that I want to take and own the leadership role, then that means I stepped out of being a leader and I've stepped into being a boss. And I never want to be the boss of people. I want to be able to lead people because that is the gift and so we have to always remember that people get to, they, they choose to allow us to lead them. And all too often we forget that. And if someone is making a choice, you have to give them the opportunity to make that choice. You have to give them and equip them with enough information to make that choice to say, I want you, Jason, to lead me into combat. I want you, Jason, to lead me into what it is that I'm supposed to be. I want you to lead me to being a better person. I want you to lead me to, to actually living a fulfilled life, what, whatever that is. But if we as the people who say that we're leaders 
who have titles and you don't have to have a title to actually lead people. You have to make certain that you provide them the ingredients, that connection, that commitment, that accountability, that trust that says, you know what? I'm willing to allow you to lead me. So what you're saying is by being a good leader, you're actually giving people the trust to lead you. Absolutely. That's a new one. Not your average Joe. Takeaway number three. Good leaders equip their teams with connection, commitment, accountability, and trust that according to Jason are the ingredients needed to allow them to lead the team. And therefore, you being a leader just means training other leaders to lead. And that's a mind banger. That's wild. <laughs> Because really, that trust that you're instilling in these people to say, okay, we've done the training we have a connection, I trust you, that is you taking the training wheels off. And in essence, you're being a great leader by letting them do their thing and thrive and, and like become the leader that they need to become. Absolutely. A good wow. leader, they're actually, you're always, as a good leader, you're always um, cultivating your people to, to, to actually lead themselves, right? And to lead the rest of the organization. As a good leader, I don't need to say, hey, Joe, let me watch you every single moment. Okay, you're going on this travel adventure, on this travel show. Let me tell you exactly what you need to do. No, hey, Joe, you're a leader in this organization. Why don't you show us what you're doing? Hey, Joe, why don't you go ahead and take the lead on this project and you've got it, right? That's what a good leader does. You unleash your people to unleash their brilliance and their greatness. This is so fascinating. And I mean, I couldn't agree more because now I'm, in, in retrospect, I'm looking back at all of my greatest mentors and it was that it was it was the selfless desire for me to thrive and that's why i think great leaders are not very common because most people want to win themselves and so if you're a great leader you have to be selfless they say yes. that the hero's journey in mythology and in storytelling the hero's journey is when a story goes from i to them And, and what can we do, what can I do for them as opposed to what can I do for me? And I think that needs a lot of maturity that takes a lot of self-analysis. Like at what point in your career did it shift from being Jason, the man who's taking orders to Jason, the man who's potentially stepping into the light of a leader and then becoming a big leader? You know, that, that, that's a, a, another phenomenal question, right? Because I've never actually been asked that, like, hey, Jason, at what point did this happen? Because I don't, it, it, rarely do people ask that, right? And so uh, immediately as you, as you asked that question, I, I, I looked above my, my desk and I see the picture of the C-130. That was the first major weapon system aircraft that I flew in the Air Force. And so in, in 2003, I got qualified to fly the airplane as a co-pilot, right? So in the airplane, you got an aircraft commander who sits in the left seat, co-pilot sits in the right seat, and the co-pilot supports the aircraft commander. But here is the kicker, right? I didn't upgrade to aircraft commander until 2005. But what they would tell us, Joe, is they would say, look, man, as a co-pilot, I need you to always be dialed in. I don't need you to check out and say, oh, the aircraft commander's got it. Because at any moment, anything could happen to that aircraft commander. And as a co-pilot, your job is to take over and take control and take charge and execute the mission. And so when you think about that, you go, wait a minute. So, so they, they would always tell us this is, you were... You are not just a co-pilot, right? And I have this whole idea about this just mentality because oftentimes you go, oh, I'm just this or I'm just that, right? But what they would tell us is, is you are not just a co-pilot. You are an aircraft commander in training. So you go, wait, okay, so let me get this straight. So 
I'm actually being taught to lead and I'm actually being asked to lead. And there would be times where a certain aircraft commander, certain instructor pilots, they would say, hey, Jason, um, I need you to lead this briefing. Whoa. Hey, Jason, I need you to lead the mission planning. And you're like, whoa. Um, And they would give you these opportunities along the way. And then I remember when I stepped in as an aircraft commander in 2005, I got qualified and there were these moments of clarity, you know, for, for, to, to what you're asking, like, when did it, like, when did it actually click? And, and it was, it wasn't this instant click. It was over time where you had no choice but to step into that role. And I remember one particular moment where, um, typically you get checked out in the airplane and they say, Hey man, you got to get a hundred hours in the airplane as an aircraft commander before we'll let you actually really go be an aircraft commander and go actually lead somewhere else around the world. And I remember we were, we we're stationed in North Carolina and my commander comes to me and goes, Hey Jason, I need you to take an airplane out to Colorado. Okay. Colorado high altitude. It's, it's, it's a little bit more uh, intensive. I won't say dangerous, but it's a little bit more intensive on, on planning and, and how do you manage the aircraft and all these other things uh, based on aerodynamics, blah, blah, blah. And I go, well, sir, I go, thank you, but you do realize I don't have 100 hours yet. He goes, I know, Jason, but I'm the boss. I, I'm, I'm the guy and, and, I, and I know what you're capable of. And I go, but, but sir, like, I, I'm not ready. He says, Jason, you're ready. I signed you off. He goes, you complete aircraft commander upgrade, right? I go, yes, sir. He goes, he goes, I checked you out. I know you know what you're doing. You're going to be just fine. He goes, I've loaded you up with a great crew. Go out there and lead them like I know you know how to lead them. I thought, ooh. I mean, it was, you talk about scary. Like, I'm going to leave the, I'm going to leave the, 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 the playground at home in North Carolina. I'm going to take an entire crew of people. I'm going to take out an engine. Because I've got to now, our crew is, is now responsible to rescue another airplane that has a broken engine. And we're flying all the way from North Carolina, all the way to Colorado, in the middle of the winter, high altitude, all these other aspects and factors. And he was like, go be a great leader, Jason. You got it. And wow. that's one of those critical moments where you realize like, okay. And, and, and here's what happened, Joe. That moment where you go, he, and it resonated with what he told me. He says, Jason, I've given you a phenomenal crew. Meaning I've surrounded you with the right people. Now you don't even have to work hard to lead because you got the right people. And what you realize is, is when you, like we were just talking about, when you allow those people to lead, and I would look at every crew member, hey, loadmaster, what do you got? Hey, flight engineer, what do you got? What do you need? Hey, navigator, what do you got? Hey, co-pilot, what do you got? What do you need? And they go, sir, we got your back. Don't worry about it. We're all good. So I'm leading. But I'm letting them lead. I'm letting them be the best that they can be. And I don't even have to work nearly as hard to try to tell everybody what to do and how to do it. No, let them shine, baby. And it works. Going back to this whole concept of like, why do you think people are reluctant to let others lead? I can look back on the experiences that I've had with the not so great leaders and what I've analyzed, and maybe this is me totally off base, but I've seen this in several instances where people are almost afraid to have others outshine them. And it becomes this very ego, immature, kind of like childlike behavior where they do not, they purposely do not equip their people with the right training or with the right skills so that when time comes, their role is essential and they cannot be replaced. It's almost like this fear of being irrelevant. So where do you kind of shift from being this what is the word from being this self-conscious worried about your own power being taken away leader that is not really a leader it's more of a draconian type to being a 
confident, empowering, supportive leader that allows other people to shine? What is that work that needs to be done? You know, I, I think, and, and again, you're hitting on something powerful, right? The, the idea that there are some of us that are born and conditioned over time to not want any limelight, right? There are some of us that, um, like you talk about, where we've had to stay in the shadows for years. And then when we're thrust into the limelight, we kind of go, okay, how do I do this? And we figure it out. And then there's everything in between. And then when it comes to leadership, you're right. There are those people who, for whatever reason, they have this fear and it's really based in fear, right? Uh, fear and a scarcity mindset that if I don't stay out in front, then I'm going to lose the next opportunity. And if I don't stay out in front, then I'm no longer going to have this role or this position or this title. And if I let Joe step into this and, and actually let her take the lead on this project, take the lead on this show, whatever, then I'm going to get erased and I'm going to become irrelevant. So I'm afraid to become irrelevant. Therefore, I'm afraid to allow Joe to step into this role. And therefore, I will never allow anyone to outshine me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think what we have to do is, is we have to be willing to be OK, allowing the people that we work with to allow them to shine. And, 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 and when we do that, what we end up finding is everybody shines. You know, and, and there are times where you will let somebody shine and they will they will take over the spotlight and eventually the truth comes out. The truth will surface as to who actually is the brainchild behind something. And in my opinion, if you're if you're a good leader, you want your people to be recognized. You want your people to be elevated. You want your people to be promoted because eventually if you do this enough times, people are going to go, wait a minute. Who did who, who who did Jason work for? Who did Joe work for? Who did who did all of these amazing people work for? And why are we seeing so many amazing people? And they're all tied to the one person? Man, we should have a conversation with that person because apparently they are doing something right. But you have to get out of the mindset of scarcity, right? Not your average Joe. Takeaway number four. My brother once taught me this saying that he would train his employees to be better at the task than him because he could only accomplish so much. But if he had a part in what these artists were creating, his influence would live far beyond his own life. And ever since he said that I was probably around 16, I haven't stopped thinking like that. Whenever I'm training someone, I wanna give them the tools and knowledge that I wish I had so that they can outgrow my skills and I think that's the key to good leadership because then you're not competing you're just nurturing and I'll give you this quick story Joe one of my best friends told me this about uh, spider monkeys you, are you familiar with the monkeys and spider monkeys and stuff have you ever heard what, what happens with them no do you know how they do you know how they catch them no. So, so the way they catch them is they'll take this little cage right they'll take a cage and they'll put it down on the ground and they put a whole bunch of nuts in the cage and so what, what ends up happening is, is the monkey goes into the cage and he can stick his arm in and he goes to pull out a whole handful of nuts. And then he's, he's holding the nuts and he doesn't want to, he can't get away. So they come and they grab the monkey, right? But guess what? The monkey could actually reach his hand in there and grab one at a time. And could but literally just, just because he's greedy. And as humans, we do the same thing, Joe. We want it all. And, and then we lose. We lose. So it's, it's really at the core. It's, it's self-consciousness and it's insecurity. 
It's really deep-rooted mm. insecurity of not knowing your own worth and being validated by these external opportunities that if you lose those, you don't have any value in your mind as far as like those fear-driven leaders that I wouldn't even call leaders. Whereas if you are full in your existence and know your value and it's not tied to these external whatevers, whether that's your title or your opportunities, then you can just shine and let other people shine because I also agree when you shine, we all shine. So in the TV exactly. world, there's when you audition for something and you, you have a chemistry test, I was analyzing this and I'm like, oh dang, this is fun, it's psychology. The art of chemistry is nothing more than making the person that you're with shine. And of course that needs to be reciprocated, but you can yeah. do your part and you need to do your part for people to look from the outside looking in and being like, wow, it looks like you guys have known each other for a lifetime. I'm like, I just met this person 10 minutes ago. But I know exactly. that when I look for the best in people, naturally there's synergy there. And this is, I think, bottom line human 101 that we often forget when you get higher up in, in leadership roles. But what you said, I won't forget. It's like the first thing you need to do is create connection to be a good leader. Now your average Joe takeaway number six, and this is a good tip whether you're auditioning for a TV show or walking into a room full of strangers and wanna leave having made an impression. Chemistry is nothing more than you finding the good in others, but like really genuinely, you have to look out for their best qualities and be curious about their lives, their backstories, their paths, and connect based on the curiosity that you naturally have for them. Because if you walk into a room and you're so self-conscious and thinking about what others are thinking of you, that's a recipe to close off your energy and no connections will be made in that way. Really, curiosity is just another way to express devotion. And in a world with so many distractions, it feels like an honor to capture someone's attention and they will not forget it, even if it's subconscious. And, and you're so right. I know we talked about this when we first met in person about TV, right? And, 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 and the reality is, is that there are some people in, in this, whether it's in the TV world or in life, that they just want to get the limelight, right? They just want to be out in front. They'll see you and they'll try to push you out of the way. And it's the person, if you, if you actually sit back and watch, and I know you've done this with the chemistry test and another aspect of traveling and seeing the world, but if you just sit back and you watch the person who actually is not trying to push anybody out of the way, but they're connecting with people and they're engaging with people and they're not actually... Um, trying to com combat or go into combat in some form or fashion with that person who wants the limelight, oftentimes that's the person that somebody goes, you know what, there's something about you. There's something that I see in you, Joe, and I want to actually, actually harness and leverage that. And it's so interesting because that person who's trying to force the limelight, they actually end up getting pushed to the back because they actually don't create connection. They actually don't care about people and they actually aren't genuine. They actually aren't authentic. And that's another key element of, of leadership. It's wild because we've, we have so many different overlaps. Not that I'm a pilot, not yet, but the TV aspect of your career is also something that I want to touch on. So yeah, you're the first person that I've met who was a pilot, but also who did a TV show and and is continuing to go down this career path. Like, how many hours in the day do you have, my friend? Because that's a <laughs> lot of stuff you're doing. But let's switch gears and talk about the TV experience. And it seems like there's some overlaps between 
pilot life, leadership, and TV because they're all very rooted in like this humanity that that at the core kind of dictates everything behind the scenes. Most people I don't think are are looking are watching shows the way that we watch shows because we've been on camera and we've like seen what that looks like. But yeah, I think being on set is nothing more than a microcosm for all of humanity for good and bad. And and now watching TV shows, I'm like I kind of ruin it for other people because I'm like, that person's not actually paying attention. <laughs> that person is the real one. Like, keep your eyes on that person. So what has your TV journey been? So my, my TV journey is, is funny and, and, and definitely some overlaps, right? And for me, I initially started, um, you know, I had my military career and, and my airline career and, and was doing good there. And for all intents and purposes, I was successful. And so, but I was looking for purpose, and so as I was looking for purpose, I started doing the professional speaking. And as I did that, I realized in order to take it to where I wanted it to go, I had to put myself out there, which is scary because now I'm inviting people into my world, as you know, and that means I'm inviting not only the people who might like me, but I'm also inviting the people who might not like me, the trolls and everything else. So that was scary. And so I, I made the leap and I started doing some things to put myself out there uh, with my sizzle reel and some other things that I was doing. And, and, and in a chat group, somebody was looking for uh, a particular type of person. As you know, when they do, do a casting call, they're looking for a particular type. And so a person said, hey, man, Jason Harris is the guy, right? So, so what I didn't realize is I went to this, this virtual casting event. And in doing that, I was being cast for like three or four different shows, all aviation related. Well, the one was a hit, and we ended up recording that show. It was a PBS Nova uh, show for about the Hindenburg 1937 um, accident that happened, and it was a phenomenal experience. It was my first time doing TV. I had no idea what I was doing, and but it worked really well. And, and so I learned a lot over the journey. We filmed in New Jersey. We filmed in Germany. We filmed in California. And there was so much learning and it was really fun. But then as, as that was happening, one of the writers, who's an Emmy, uh, Emmy winning writer, says, hey, Jason, I got this other project I'm working on with another producer. Would you be interested? I'm like, sure, why not? Like, I've got nothing to lose. And, and I've ne I was never the one, Joe, that says, I want to be on TV, right? You look Same. at TV and it's just, again, like flying airplanes, it just, it just seems like that's just so far out there. There's, there's no way they're going to select me. There's no way I'm going to be the guy they're going to do this, right? So... Long, long story longer, I, I get picked up to do this second event on the History Channel. So I you know, got this, this cool event on the History Channel. We record it. Awesome time, awesome experience. And then because of that, the producers was like, hey, we want to pitch you for some other stuff. And now we're getting ready to start recording a six-episode six show for the History Channel. And who knows where this thing goes? I, I don't know, but um, it, it's been a fun experience. And again... When you you and I watch shows now, they don't they're not the same, right? Like I can watch you on TV and I can watch your co-host and I can watch other shows. I'm like, oh, okay, I know what this is probably what happened here and this. But then you say, let me enjoy it. And then of course, when we're behind the camera, I want to make certain that I give everything that I've got. I want to make certain that I'm leading in this small opportunity on camera because even by by how we present ourselves on that camera being real being authentic being being vulnerable and just being who we are that's a form of leadership and when you do that you shine in a way that you, you your true self comes out people are attracted to that more producers will want to work with you right more more opportunities present themselves because they're like that's what the world wants to see 
That's what the Ameri- that's that's what the public around the world wants to see on Netflix, wants to see on these network channels, because so many people, like you said, Joe, they're fake. They're not being real. They're not being authentic. And it's crazy because with um, talk about the psychology of it all, with these personalities who have always wanted to be in the limelight, oftentimes they create a persona that becomes believable even to them. So they they might even not know what their genuine truth is. And, and, you know, we all wear masks. I'd be lying if I told you otherwise. Like when you're on TV, you know that they put a camera in front of you and you have whatever amount of time allotted to, to do your thing. And that means hitting the talking points, getting the point across, being lovable, smiling, opening your body up to the camera. Like this is an art, but it's how do you capture the most authentic humanity in that five minute window? And yeah, like when you shed all of the masks and you're able to be yourself while hitting those talking points, because I know we all got them, that's when it becomes the superpower that viewers at home don't realize is what they're getting drawn to. Absolutely. Man, I dig it. Being a human is complicated, but I love it. We met in the speakers training and that was the first time I had ever been trained on performance, which is ironic considering I've built a career on camera. Similar to you, like I didn't, I mean, you know a little bit of the story where it's like I didn't grow up ever standing out. I knew I already physically stood out. So my dream was to like shrink myself as possible to not upset or bother anyone in the room because I already knew visually like my hair would block people's view, you know? So it's like, let me straighten it, let me tie it back, let me like not be a nuisance. So that does not equal like being on camera. I never signed up for an acting class. I never ever signed up for any kind of theater. And when we got to our training for two days in Lamberville, which was funny enough, a recommendation by a man that I interviewed on this podcast. So talk about like just life throwing you in great directions if you go with the flow. That was really That's crazy. Awesome. Yeah, like, and I was the first one to do the master class, which was horrifying because when they asked like, who's the bravest person in the room? I was like, I did not raise my hand. Did you raise your hand? I, I, I likely did not raise my hand as the bravest person in the room because I just wouldn't call myself that. Yeah, no, me neither. And then all of a sudden, like they waited a little bit, they waited some more and everybody's hands were like high up in the air, like me, me, pick me. And then all of a sudden I like creep my fingers up a little slowly and then, and that was it. And then they chose me and you saw the train wreck of my first performance. So basically for everyone listening or watching, this was a masterclass where you have to perform the beginning of your speech. So all of these strangers, 30 strangers in a room for this two day workshop, getting better at public speaking. And obviously you hear this man, like, does he need this training? No, but he's along with me in this training and no one knows anyone, uh, which I love. So as a masterclass participant, you do your thing with no direction for the first round. And oh my, it was a train wreck. I was looking down on the floor. I was pacing. I was nervous. I was shaking. I was like taking too many breaths. They pull me off stage. The instructor says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Stand dead in front of the stage. Do not move. Look everyone in the eye and say your first two lines again. And this was like, this was magic because this was the first time Very after 10 so. years of considering what I've done that I looked everyone in the eye. I remember seeing your face in the audience as well. And it was this human connection, even though I was on a stage, which is like a very manufactured environment where I started tearing up 
And people in the crowd started tearing up. And they don't know me. They do not know my story. They have just met me. And yet I was able to move them emotionally because I was getting moved emotionally. And when I saw that, we all got off. I got off stage and we were all like, what, what just happened? Like people thought I was a plant. And I'm like, damn, <laughs> this just was like the power of human connection in this five minute chunk of time that I had never been able to experience so obviously before. And I guess the, the takeaway for me was when you're being your true authentic self, that's when the magic happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and it didn't even take words. Like you said, you teared up before you even started speaking. And as you were showing like your aura, your emotions, as they're coming out, other people are witnessing, they are bearing witness to you in your authentic self and your authentic voice that doesn't even have to come out. You exude your authentic voice and people notice that they recognize that and they can connect and identify with that same true authentic voice. And that was the power in that moment of what you did. And then when you added your voice, when you actually started speaking, that became beyond powerful because we were all emotionally moved, emotionally charged by just two lines of your story. So imagine when you tell your entire story, imagine how much that's going to move people, Joe. I'm going to need some tissues. I need like an unlimited box of tissues. <laughs> and you know, I, I was thinking a lot about this. I'm like, when we, when I first got up there and I did what I thought I needed to do, which was just reciting the lines that I knew in my head, like a robot trying to, you're like, tr when you're trying to act, it does not connect with people. And that's what happened on my first round. That's why I was a train wreck. I was trying to act like the speaker, whatever, given what I've seen in TV shows and movies, what I've done before in the past, because it's easier to stand behind something that is an act that's safe. What is not easy is to stand in front of strangers, a hundred percent vulnerable, the most vulnerable you could be, which is just like getting emotional and, and showing that side of yourself. Like that's, what's concerning to, to most people. That's what I was avoiding doing. And when the instruction was to do exactly that, I was like, damn it. <laughs> like, this is not going to be easy or painless, but it's in that, that like kind of pain where art and connection gets created. That's when things change people's lives, even if they've never met you before or heard anything about you before. It's just humans showing their vulnerability. That is what changes other people's lives. Absolutely. And, and so many of us, we're, we've been conditioned our entire lives, Joe, to protect our vulnerability. We've been conditioned to protect that which is sacred and our vulnerability is sacred. And therefore we can't show it to the world because if you do, then now you, by showing your vulnerability, that which is sacred, you now have made yourself vulnerable. And the idea of self-protection, self-preservation is to never allow ourselves to be vulnerable mm -hmm. because then what? Someone can take advantage of your vulnerability. And the reality is, is that that did not happen to you. The reality is, is in those moments where we actually are willing to just open up, when we're actually willing to just show who we are, our true self, and allow our and allow our vulnerability to show, we find that that's where we really 
create connection. We find that that's where we really create commitment and it just changes everything. It's crazy. This is a crazy conversation, Jason. We were supposed to be talking about (laughs) flying planes. (laughs) Like what the hell happened? Because it's rooted in, in these like very basic principles, right? Like whether we're talking about leading a plane or leading a TV show or, or leading in general, or just being somebody that can bring out the best in people first, this baseline work and confidence in oneself and confidence in the ability of like surviving those vulnerable moments needs to happen. I, I, I'm shocked. If you've caught on by now, I love to dig into the humanity of everything, especially when I'm talking to someone with a huge job because you might have the biggest job on earth, but you're still a human. So even though Jason was a pilot, what I found most interesting was everything underneath the titles. Don't get me wrong, that's cool. I get it that people look at me as this mythical creature because I fly airplanes, but there's a person behind this guy that's flying the airplanes. And you started digging into the other pieces, which is, dude, who are you as a leader? Who are you as a person? And and when you start digging into that, that because that's what people are craving, right? Yeah, people want to know, how do I get to travel like Joe? How do I get to get, you know, how do I become a pilot like Jason? And what is it like to be a pilot, right? Um, The cool commonality that we have is that we love to travel. You know, when I tell people the best part about being a pilot is someone pays me to travel and see the world, to be a good food, uh, a good wine, and a pretty people critic, right? Like, how cool is that? But beyond that, who who is that person? And that's, you know, and am I leading myself? And then am I, and after I lead myself, am I able to actually lead others? Because that's where the real impact comes. You know, if, 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 if something happens to me today, tomorrow, and I didn't impact people to replace me, then I've done the world and humanity a disservice. And I can't do that if I'm not being a leader. I can't do that if I'm not being vulnerable and willing to show my vulnerability, right? Like, being on TV is hard. Being, you know, um, being a pilot to become a pilot, that's hard, right? Your journey to, to have the followers that you have to do what you do, that's hard. People want, like, they want it, but they don't understand the work that it takes. And sometimes it takes you and I, as we lead others, to show them what's possible. You know, learning language is hard. As you lead people to understand what's possible, sometimes we have to be vulnerable and say, let me show you where I struggled at. Let me show you where I tripped and fell at. Let me show you where um, where I scraped my knees at. Let me show you where I completely fell on my face or shoved my foot in my mouth or whatever the case may be. And it's in those moments, Joe, and you know this, it's in those moments that people go, wow, hmm, so I actually can do this. Yeah, you can. Like th- this is this world is just for you, for you just the same as it is for me, right? And that's for people that are, it doesn't matter color, creed, sex, work, sexual orientation, whatever the case may be, right? But especially those that look like you and I, especially those that are from marginalized groups, because how often are marginalized people told what's possible? Because society oftentimes are not telling us what's possible. Society is telling us what we shouldn't be doing. Society is telling us um, they're they're putting us into this box. And I'm not here to say all people are bad because they're not. But let's be honest and let's just be real and let's not be afraid to talk about the elephant that's in the room. And it's when you and I actually get real and go beyond any titles or anything that we do and we show who we are that people connect to that. And that 
allows people to go, I can actually be more than what I am and or I could be what it is that I am and I could be what I want to be based on what I've heard you say and how you said it. Right. And I think you bring up, I mean, you bring up so many great points, but the point about when you are in the position of, uh, you know, dream career, we get paid to travel and it's brilliant and and it is a dream. We've, we were talking about how like, yeah, one day I wanna have pastries in Paris. And so I just go, like, it's it's a great, the actual content of, of quality in life that we live in is insane. And I always think about that and I'm always so grateful for it. And then the luxury actually becomes staying home, right? Which we were joking about. Like, I don't wanna stay my booty on the couch. Uh, so a lot of people ask me all the time, like, how do I get on the TV show? Like, how do I, how do you have my dream job? I really want to do this job. How did you get this? And one thing that I don't do as often as maybe I should, and after this conversation, it's giving me food for thought where I don't necessarily show the late nights editing. I don't show the weight and the pressure of like carrying a lot of the family finances forward. I don't show like all of the messed up things that have happened to me. I don't talk about the people who have gone out of their way to tear me down because they were afraid that I would take their place when all I could do was give them compassion and support and be a good friend or a good leader. I don't talk about that because I feel like people don't want to hear those stories. They don't. But then it kind of upsets me when people are like, how do I get this job? You have the dream job. Like, what do I do? And I'm like, dang, if only y'all knew what it took to get this job. And I don't want to discourage people because I don't want it to seem like it's an impossible thing. But it's there were so many times that I was tested and it could have been so easy to stop. And for some crazy reason, I was like, no, because this is more than just me. I'm not doing this for me. I actually don't want to be on TV, but I know that me being there is an act of activism. So it's almost like I cannot give up when these things ruffle my feathers, when these people come out of nowhere and try to take me down. It's like, no, boo-boo, you could do what you want, but I'm going to keep going. And that resilience is something that I don't think people consider when they see people in marginalized groups doing successful things that they were not quote unquote programmed or destined for lack of a better word to do. How many little boys, how many little black boys are able to fly aircrafts and lead crews in the military and be a lieutenant, a like what is your role? Your, your titles are ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, what's the difference between a lieutenant and a colonel? Like, what? Uh, so, a lieutenant is like brand new. That's like the first rank as an officer, and then lieutenant colonel. Some people says it just means you're the old guy, but it takes some time. So, the the rank you go lieutenant, uh, second lieutenant, first lieutenant, captain, major, then lieutenant colonel, then full bird colonel, and and after that, generals. Right. But um, again, it, it's it's it, it's the time. But you're right. It, it's um, we have to be willing to to show up and 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 I think you're you're right that a lot of people they don't understand the journey and and for us I think it's important that we that we continue to just be who we are right that we own the spaces that and opportunities that we're given and that we don't shy away from the challenge and you're right when those challenging moments happen we have to be willing to continue to persevere through those moments because there are going to be so many more challenges, right? Um, 
just because we get to live these dream lives doesn't mean it's an easy life. You know, yeah, there, there's some financial implications. There's some financial expectations. There's things that we have to do. Um, and there, and what I tell people, Joe, is that for everything that you gain, you have to give up something. Yes. For everything, for everything you, 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 um, give up, you have the ability to gain something, right? And so you've got to decide at what point are you willing to, to give up something for what you want to gain and, and vice versa. And that's where the real magic begins to happen. Because this is you getting to know your true values. Some people want to travel the world, but not a lot of them will realize that in traveling the world, you miss most important things in your friends and family's lives. This actually happened to me like seven years down the line where this is when I started shifting my content because I was like, damn, yes, traveling the world is extraordinary, but I don't want to have to travel like it got to the point where in order to get my paycheck I had to travel like you I'm sure that you know but now you speak and similar with speaking you still have to travel for a lot of those events but I was just getting pulled in so many directions and I was missing out on so much of the things that I valued like I'm a huge relationship builder right with family that's important to me with my friends and I I was just weighing the pros and cons. I'm like, yeah, I get to see these amazing things in the world. I get to have this really cool community online. But I, I wasn't actually speaking as many languages. I wasn't practicing my languages. I wasn't staying in any place long enough to build relationships. And I was missing out on all of the relationships that I had built over college because, you know, in, in the last 15 years of my life, I think the longest I've stayed still was for college for four years. And that's why those people became like family to me. So it was around 2017, 2018, and I had started making YouTube videos in 2012. So six years down, I was like, I don't want the next 10 years of my life to be filled with, or 20 years or whatever, to be filled with a lot of success. Because I was in these hotel rooms, I was getting flown first class, and I was very grateful for those things. But then I realized, what good is it if you can order everything in the room service menu and you have no one next to you to share it and it just wasn't the, the value and this is where the value conversation for me it's a personal journey right like I it wasn't worth it to me anymore to pour my energy and time into developing something that would just take away from what I actually care about and that meant walking away from something very lucrative very successful and and just be like yeah well this makes sense because these things don't align anymore with what I want in my life, but it's scary as hell to do that. Very scary, because you gotta give up something. Yes, and it was a big thing I gave up. But what did you gain, Joe? So much, and, and this is the thing, we don't see what's on the other side. We cannot see what's on the other side, but it's like that willingness to just go into the value truth when you step away from the thing that you know you need to give up. You do not see the good that is waiting for you on the other side, but it, it really is true. And every day I wake up, I'm like, dang, like I'm meeting people like you, right? Like I would have not met people like you had I stayed in the comfortable position that I was in doing the same thing that I knew would be successful. It would, it would be depriving me of my joys, but then also of like the world to get these conversations and be impacted. So it's almost like when you're stopping yourself you're depriving not only you, but all of the people you could impact as that leader of the joys and, and goodness that you can offer them simply by like you being authentic to yourself. This is crazy. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you're so right. There are people that go a lifetime and they have a wall full of success. They have all this stuff, all these accolades. They have all these accomplishments. They've seen the world. But when they really slow down, they've never really enjoyed it. Because, like you said, they, they didn't have meaningful connections along the way. And so what good does it do us to have all of these things? And like you said, Joe, to not be able to actually enjoy the first class flight with someone that you enjoy spending time with, whether that's a family member or a significant other or whatever the case may be, right? Uh, to enjoy like room service in one of the finest hotels around the world, you know, to be able to pull up to the Eiffel Tower and sit there and eat escargot, some of the world's best escargot as you're staring at the Eiffel Tower, just chilling in Paris, right? Um, or to go to the Amalfi Coast or whatever, right? It's cool. But if you can't do it and enjoy and truly say you enjoyed it, and especially if, if connections mean something to you, then what was the point? And, and, and I think that there are people that they get to the end of a lifetime and they go, man, you know what? I really missed an opportunity. And, and in doing that, if I could do it all over again, I would actually trade some of the things for time, for time with the people that matter, for time with the people that I actually care about. You know, and so for me, what I what I say is, is I've got a daughter. She turns seven tomorrow. Oh, happy birthday um, to her. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, one of the things that I do with her is, is uh, when she was little, we started doing daddy daughter donut dates on Fridays. And so um, it, it kind of became a thing on my social media page. It's a thing with my clients now that I talk about that. But what I realized, what, what I was doing was I was creating that connection with her. What I realized is I was creating that bond with her. And even now, um, I will forego things to make certain that I spend the time with her. Right. And so I would hate to get to I would hate for her to get to be 18 years old or for me to get to the end of life and go, man, you know what? I could have spent more time with her, but I was so busy chasing money. I was so busy chasing experiences. I was so busy chasing um, all of these things. And I missed the opportunity to actually show her quality time. You know, the same with my spouse and the family members that I love. And, and so what you're saying is powerful, but I had to be, I have to be willing to give something up. And many of us were afraid. We're like that, like that monkey. We're holding on. We're like, well, I can't, I can't let it go. Cause if, if I don't go and do this thing, then I won't be the popular person anymore. If I don't do this thing, I won't get the next TV show. No, what's for you is for you. That saying held me down in the moments of uncertainty, and I can attest that it is true. It's like a Chinese proverb, what's meant for you is meant for you. And like I I was in so much uncertainty because I had basically jumped off a cliff and like had no parachute, <laughs> or at least I didn't think I had one. And then all of a sudden like a huge parachute comes up, and it's just like life is good all of a sudden, but it was me free falling in those moments of like – damn, what am I about to do? And this man told me, a stranger, of course. It's always like this very wise stranger. Of course. He was like, Joe, I see in your eyes. the hero's journey. <laughs> what's meant for you? And I'm like, literally, Mr. Miyagi, where did you come from? And he was incredible and he was accurate and and it was true. Really, that, that's what we're talking about. It's a sacrifice. Like you, you have to be willing to sacrifice something because the thing that you're sacrificing it for has more value than the perceived value of like going to Paris, having escargot in front of the Eiffel Tower. Even though escargot is not yeah. great, to, in my opinion. <laughs> Do you like escargot? It's, dude, no. Yes. It was all that butter. Okay, look, no, I, what I really like is butter and garlic. Let's just call it what it is, Joe. This is so funny. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I love the, the time commitment 
How, what does your schedule look like on a weekly basis? And like, how far have you had to travel for daddy daughter donut day? So my schedule is crazy. Um, and, and I have to absolutely say that if it weren't for my spouse and who she is and how awesome she is, I wouldn't be able to do half the things I do. And so she definitely holds me down. She's a professional herself, but just, she's, she's amazing. So it, my schedule, there's nothing consistent about my schedule. One week I might be flying out of the country as an airline pilot. The next week I might be doing military duty uh, at my military unit of, of assignment. Uh, the next week or in that same week I might be speaking to a client somewhere around the world because they bring me in for to, to speak on a stage for them or to do a, a workshop. It just varies. But what I always make certain that I do, Joe, is I do everything that I can to spend more time at home than I do on the road as best as I can. And so... Those moments when I'm at home on Fridays, I make that commitment to my daughter. She's in school now. So so on Friday, Thursday nights, I'll say, hey, honey, do you want donuts when you wake up? And she'll say yes. So I'll get up in the morning, get a workout in, go to the donut shop. And when she wakes up, we got donuts. And then there's some days where she says, no, daddy, I just want us to go get donuts after school. Let's go get donuts for dessert. Cool. Or sometimes we'll do donuts before dinner. Like, Again, it is you find the time and you make the time for the things that matter. And let me be very vulnerable and transparent and say at one point, I lost sight of what was important. At one point, I was going too far to try to do things and to try to chase things. And as I was doing that, I actually started disconnecting from my wife, disconnecting from my daughter. Not intentionally, but it is intentional if you aren't intentionally connecting with them, right? And so... Um, what ended up happening is, is I was forced to slow down and, and, and by way of what happened, um, with COVID and all that stuff. And so it was tragic. I've lost a lot of family members and, and, and I caught COVID a couple of times and it was real tragic, right? I got to face my mortality because it was pretty bad with what I dealt with. And then I, I watched other people, um, have some significant issues, but, out of the negativity of that situation came the good that I was able to reconnect with my family, reconnect with my wife, reconnect with my daughter and slow down. You know, in, in, in life, we say you have to slow down to speed up. Um, I used to be a, a expert uh, shooter with with different things that I was doing in my military job, my military role. And what we train to do in, in shooting weapons is we say in order to get good, you have to actually slow down and be methodical with that, right? And I think even in flying an airplane, you have to slow down and get to the basics and be methodical. Because once you slow down and get the basics, then you can speed up, right? And so that allowed me to slow down, get back to the basics of just connecting with my family, connecting with myself, connecting with what I really wanted to be, who I really wanted to be, and where I wanted to go, to then now I can speed up and understand how fast I'm going, how fast I need to go. And I also have that much more of an awareness as to when I need to actually slow down and be like, you know what? I think I'm going to take the next week off because it's not good. It's not healthy to just always leaning in at a thousand miles an hour. Right. Because if you are leaning in and you're chasing this, like, whatever dangling piece of meat, it, it becomes, <laughs> I can almost see a cartoon, you know, like uh, Wile E. Coyote or whatever, mm -hmm. like on a treadmill chasing a piece of meat when the thing he wants is next to him. But you, you cannot see that if you're too busy chasing the steak or whatever. For me, it'd be like chocolate, you know, because I don't really love steak. But my point is that, like, we get tricked because we could just chase these things that people might think are cool. 
and especially I think even more so for people of color or marginalized groups, we want to prove to everyone that like, we're here, we could do this. So then we chase things, not for like very frivolous reasons. Sure. Some of us are chasing the money. Some of us are chasing the limelight, but more, I think often than not, we're chasing this recognition for our entire group of people. So that is when it gets dangerous because we're more likely to forego our own values and desires because we're like trying to change the world and how all of humanity thinks, but it's not all all on us. Like it shouldn't fall on our shoulders. Yeah. I think, you know, and I, I agree in so many ways, right? Like the, the marginalized groups, the people of color, you're right. Um, and then for some of us, we want to prove that I can actually do this, right? So there's there's a whole element of, I got to prove that I'm capable of doing this. And then the other piece of of the chase is people have shown us these things. They says, hey, this is, this is what's important. This is what you should go after, right? Um, you should go after the plaques on the wall. You should go after the money. You should go after the cars. You should go after the material things or the ability to buy all these things. And it's only recently that I came to the realization, Joe, that if I have to chase something, just like in a relationship, if I have to chase you, then maybe I actually don't want you. Maybe you're actually not meant for me because you're constantly running away from me. Because what's meant for me is meant for me. And for me to have to chase it says that I'm always going to have to be running to chase it. I'm always going to be exhausted. And therefore, I learned to stop chasing things. Wow. I don't have to chase these, these things that have been hung in front of our faces. Now we're getting into the relationship advice. It's true. It's true. <laughs> because you can't possibly change the world if you're exhausted trying to chase things that are not actually meant for you because you don't have energy. You cannot wake up with a clear head if you're worrying about like bullshit that isn't yeah. meant for you. For so many years in my career, I was chasing this vision of like pitching a young travel show and every single step of the way I got declined and I was just so upset cause I'm like, but it's perfect, it's perfect. And then the minute that I stopped trying is when the YouTube channel took off. And then when that wasn't working anymore either because it felt like I was trying to convince myself to stay in this because it was so great by external thought like everyone was like wow a million subscribers wow you're living full-time wow people all over the world know you and I'm like I I haven't seen my niece and nephews in forever I haven't connected with my friends and I'm like damn what am I doing and then you step away from that because you you realize you're chasing things and then the minute I was just like nah I'm gonna just do me is when things started falling into place and when, like you said, once you slow down and you stop going, I'm chasing things and you say, I'm actually going to live my life to the fullest, then the world opens up to you like you've already experienced, you know? And uh, I, I remember wanting my own food and travel show. And I remember mentioning it to one of my producers and he goes, oh, that's not possible, Jason. And I thought, hmm, I can try to force this. I can try to chase it. But what if I just actually do it in an organic way? And, and, and then when it's right, when it's t- the time happens, it's going to happen. And it's going to actually be that much better because I didn't try to force it. I didn't try to chase it. And I didn't try to prove, right, that idea of we try to prove to ourselves and prove to others. I, I don't, I'm not trying to prove that it's possible now. And now I'm at peace knowing that it's going to happen when the time is right. You know, um, and, and I think that's in business, that's in life, that's in relationships. 
And oftentimes we don't even realize what we're doing. The more you're chasing, think about it. If you're chasing it, it just keeps getting away from you. It just is, it, it's never going to be in front of you. Or, or it's right there in front of you, just so close that you can never grasp it. But when you stop chasing it and you're like, oh, actually, I can actually reach out and grab that. Wow, that's life changing. <laughs> I know, right? Like how many years could we have saved? And this is something that I'm still, you know, this is a journey. This it doesn't end here. These things are, I've experienced a lot of these things that we're talking about in, in reality. But what is exciting for me to think about is like, what do these theories do in my future? Because I have no idea, right? Like in the, in the next few years, I literally have no idea what's going to happen. But what I do know is for the first time in a long time, I'm waking up and doing exactly what I want to be doing. And I have trust that that will open up the right doors for me to continue to, to like connect with people and show them through example. And I'm hoping that it works out because shit, if it doesn't, then we're going to be like, damn, that was a good theory. <laughs> I think it's going to work out very, very well for you, Joe. I think you're you're absolutely on your way and it's definitely going to work out. And I think you're going to wake up and go, I'm so glad that I did it that way. You're making those decisions now so that down the road, like what we had that those moments of epiphany or moments of revelation, that I'm glad I made those choices. I'm glad I wasn't chasing this or trying to um, be so frugal that I wasn't living life, right? And so for you, you're making decisions and I think you're going to wake up and, and you're going to realize like, man, you know what? I'm really glad I made those decisions because I'm actually far better off now than if I had not made those decisions to live the way I've chosen to live at this point and forgo some things that some people will say, how could you give that up? You're like, because I want to gain what's meant for me. Oh, Jason, it's too good. So this entire conversation has been filled with not your average Joe takeaways, but I always conclude all of my interviews and great conversations with the question, if you were to give someone one piece of advice today to walk away being not an average Joe, what would that be? Man, huge question, uh, but I make it really simple, Joe. Um, all that we've been talking about today is, is living our full life, living life to the fullest in our own truth and being true, transparent and authentic. And what I love to tell people is this. We always look at what other people have and we always want what other people have because it's what we don't have. But what I want you all to remember is this. Every single day that you wake up, you look in the mirror. First and foremost, I want you to realize how absolutely beautiful you are. And then beyond how beautiful you are, I want you to remember this. There is someone out there who wishes that their life sucked as good as yours. Wow. That's a new one. That is creative. <laughs> and I love it. I'll do that tomorrow morning. <laughs> and that is it for today. I've had a blast having this discussion. And I'm really excited to see where the show goes because it's opening doors that I didn't even know were there. They say that in every good story, the author should be transformed by the end of the book, just like the readers. And I feel like with this podcast, I'm being transformed simply by recording it. So thank you for listening and thank you for being a part of this journey. For more on Jason, I'm linking his information in the show notes below. 
For more on me, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Joe underscore Franco. And the pod has an account as well at Not Your Average Joe Pod. I'll be back next week with another episode chock full of them takeaways. But in the meantime, if you can follow us on Instagram and comment what you would like to see for the upcoming episodes, because this is not just for me. This is for all of us to be a little less average. This episode was produced and edited by me. And the theme song was created and performed by my lovely sister, Fernanda Franco. Treat yourself to an above average day because you, boo-boo, you deserve it. Hey, yo, come listen to my girl, man. What you doing? Shit. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.